Actually, good morning to you middlers, uh, grades three and five. This morning, you're going to get a chance to hear from a lot of people in our artisan community about things that they're involved with that are joining God in the renewal of all things, something we say a lot around here. But I want to start with where did this actually start? And it started in a conversation in our neighborhood group. Uh, we can show, there, there's that good looking group, this is our neighborhood group, um, hanging out somewhere in the summer. But we, we were in a home and we were doing our very first outward. And the question came up, well, before we start asking about what are we gonna do together as a group, what is it that people are already doing? And as we went around the room and went to person after person, we discovered that there was something that was deeply engaging for each member of our group, and they were passionate about it, and they shared it with the rest of the group. And then someone, I think that was probably Michelle, said, well, you know, that sort of reminds me of how we did missions mornings at our church. So we thought, well, maybe we can do, we won't call it a missions morning, and uh, thankfully Scott came up with the name Renewal Sunday, which I like a whole lot more, but it's a way to celebrate uh, what, we're, what God is leading in together. But uh, before we got go there, I wanted to start by laying the foundations for Renewal Sunday. Why do we call it Renewal Sunday? Well, if I go to the homepage uh, of Artisan Church and clicked on that, or if I looked at my bulletin, I see that we, that our byline, the thing that defines our church, is that we are joining God in the renewal of all things. So, where does that come from? Well, it comes from Scripture. And I want us to look together briefly at Colossians 1, 16 to 20, put up here, where everything, absolutely everything, this is the message version, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got its start in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything God finds of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down through the cross. So we see here that God is in the renewal business. And what is he renewing? He's renewing everything. Now, I know we can look around the world and start to wonder, is, is that happening? In, in the last hundred years, we've seen two world wars. We've had numerous genocides. We've, we've had global warming. We have uh, all famines, all kinds of trouble and pain. But God tells us that he's in the work of renewal. And it's kind of like, well, Jesus says, it's kind of like a bit of yeast in the dough. And it's doing its work. It's hidden in plain sight, but it's coming to life. And the truth is, and Scripture promises this, that it will be completed. We read in Matthew 19. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glory, 
or his throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then at the very last chapter of the Bible in Revelation, he says, Behold, I make all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are faithful and true. And he told me, it is done. Now, here's the really exciting part. Now, let me see if I can channel my inner Ben Woodman. The really exciting part <laughs> is that we get to participate in this. Uh, this isn't just God's work. He's doing his work of renewal often through us. Consider these words from 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ and new, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Let me say that again. It's as though God is making his appeal, his reconciling work through us. Wow. You know, in a world that hungers for meaning, that hungers for purpose, isn't this an amazing purpose? we get to join God in the renewal, renewal of all things. Uh, I, I'm a, a, a student, a fan of uh, people who write books on organizations and organizational development. And all of the great writers, uh, from Peter Senge, uh, Jim Collins, Simon Sinek more recently, uh, Dan Pink, they all talk about the centrality of purpose. People and organizations hunger for purpose. And we have a purpose. And that is we can join in God's amazing renewing work. So we're going to hear some stories. These are just, uh, there's that TV show, these are just a few of the stories. Uh, and you're going to get a chance to meet with a lot of people to hear a lot more stories after the service. But we're going to interview a few people. But before we do, let me pray for them and for us. And then we'll get started. Lord, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are in charge. You are the one who is not only the creator, but the sustainer and the renewal of our world. And even more thank you, thank you, that you engage us in your work. Lord, uh, as we hear stories this morning, be with those who share and those of us who hear just ask for your, your blessing on this whole community this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to start, Dice, you're back there. It's okay, you can stay there. I'll come to you about that. Oh, okay. Your job's done. Okay, there you go, Dice. So, Dice, uh, um, this is Dice, for those of you who don't know. Uh, All right. Yeah, that's good. Um, so tell us about uh, which organization you're involved with. Um, I'm with uh, Interhope Youth Ministries, and we operate in East Vancouver. Um, do you want me to like, say what you do? Sure, yeah. absolutely. Um, what do you do? 
don't get to know. Um, you know, we, uh, we work with uh, at-risk and vulnerable youth and families in East Vancouver, um, coming from mostly generational cycles of poverty, abuse, um, and addiction. Um, so we provide um, wraparound support, housing, life skills, uh, practical things that people might need that, we, that others of us might get from our family or our church, um, and discipleship programs for those who are interested in learning about Jesus. Fantastic. And how have you seen God at work in what, what you're doing at Inner Hope? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, what I really appreciate about this organization is uh, sort of our tagline is hope through relationships. Um, and previously what I've been familiar with is a lot of like practical support, you know, big mass meals and, and shelters and that sort of thing. And what's really special that I'm inspired by is this is a relational community. So teenagers being paired one-on-one -on -one with a mentor who can build into their, their life skills and into their values as human and get to know them on a deeper level. And we walk with people for years. So what, what do you need to get you through high school? Okay, now what's next? Um, learning to make a budget. Okay, getting into your first place. Um, so yeah, so what, what's really special is I think God works through people when you see an actual human being who's interested in you and will be there next week and the week after. Um, yeah, so I think relationships are really transformative and that you know if it's food or shelter in the context of someone who knows you, not just randomly descending to serve from their very different class. Um, I think that does something special and it models how Jesus walked alongside people and got to know them and partied with them and came right into their world. So yeah, that's, that's the model that I really appreciate. Cool, that's great. One last question for you. How has this work with Inner Hope shaped you? What has God done in you? Yeah, I was trying to pick one or two things. Uh, so what came to me is, is one, I feel really blessed having been raised in this very white, very Christian, very middle class upbringing. I now have people that I see on a daily basis and who know me and, um, and we have conversations and they're so, they come from such a different world. And it's really a blessing for me to just wake up and be with people who are, who are different from me and have different conversations. Um, and then on a specific level, I think going from this academic understanding or reading the news, this sort of high level of, right, poverty and all these problems, and then, but actually knowing people and seeing, unpacking what my privilege actually has consisted of, and it's made me appreciate so much more the little, 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 little things all along the way, all along my life, from having parents who are role models, from being part of a church, from going on a missions trip, um, to having teachers who thought I was great because I didn't have learning disabilities and showed up all well and groomed and could just fit right in. And, and so you sort of see people who, um, sitting next to this little guy who I realized, you know, we go to play card games and he doesn't know a single card game. And I'm like, right, I learned card games from my grandparents. Um, and then being in a, in a home where we keep all the grad pictures of all the people who have graduated high school, which some of them are the first in their family. And I think, yeah, I have a home where they have my grad picture on the wall and my parents are proud of me. Or someone will come by, hey, can I use the printer and print a resume? And I think, yeah, I would go to my parents' house when I needed to print something and didn't have a printer. Um, so all the little ways, and I, I'm just, I'm really, I've been transformed by seeing my life and my world in a new way. And being like, I don't, I want to do more than just give sort of financially to 
actually dwelling with people and being around long term. There's something really special in that, and it's been an honor for me. Thank you. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Our next interview is with Matthew. There you go. Hey, so I'm looking for Corey. All right, so Corey is a home builder. You'll come up here. All right. And uh, working with more than a roof housing society. Um, so, yeah, Corey, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, how you got involved and what uh, more than a roof housing society does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I volunteer for more than a roof housing society. Uh, we both create and manage affordable housing units in Vancouver and in British Columbia. Uh, and as the name suggests, we offer more than a roof. Uh, we, we offer resources to things like uh, food security and fi financial stability and mental and physical health. So. Like why, why did you get involved in this? What's the kind of main thing that keeps you um, coming back and, and giving your time and energy? Um, I think one of the things, as I'm a, I'm a builder, I build homes, and I typically build homes for people who can't afford them. Uh, I, I find that fulfilling, but it feels really good to be part of something that, uh, that is a solution to that. I, I can play a small part uh, in finding affordable housing, which we know is a glaring issue um, another thing too is, is just volunteering in general. It was modeled for me in my home growing up. Uh, my parents were always volunteering for one cause or another, and, and it just feels like a really natural rhythm in my life to be volunteering my time and, and in ways that I can. And I want to do the same for my kids. I want to create the same legacy that I was given. Yeah, I guess, I mean, obviously the housing crisis is on the top of everyone's mind. What have you seen um, really uh, the changes happening specifically maybe in the last couple handful of years? Yeah, there's actually been some really big changes. Uh, it's a rare time. Uh, people are saying the stars are aligning, call it what you will. Um, but the city of Vancouver has a, a, a more aggressive housing agenda than they've had. Uh, the province of BC also is putting a lot of resources and funds into affordable housing. And now just recently, the federal government Yeah, lots of lots of funding into housing. So, you know, those are all a lot of promises, but uh, it's pretty exciting to see them be followed through in the future. And it's uh, it's a growing sector. Great. Well, Corey's gonna hopefully hang out after in the corner here, which is kind of local uh, development and uh, issues. So, thanks so much for for sharing. Cool. And Vian's gonna take the next one. Excellent. We're gonna transition to environmental concern. If I can get Alistair up here. And uh, he is with OceanWise, so if you can just tell us a little bit more about OceanWise and what your role is there. Uh, yeah, specifically OceanWise Seafood. I, uh, OceanWise Seafood is a program that partners with restaurants and uh, grocery stores across Canada, uh, basically putting our, our brand on uh, sustainable seafood options and uh, kind of making it easier for consumers to buy sustainable seafood. Excellent. And so what's your role with them? Uh, we're based in Aquarium, and I, I, I'm the marine biologist who, who writes the assessments and decides whether things are sustainable or not. Awesome. And what, how does your faith actually inform the work that you're doing here? Um, as, as a marine biologist, uh, it's not very um, optimistic most of the time. I read the news, it's, it's a really depressing job. I, I saw something 
uh, in the news yesterday about how car reef researchers are actually having diminished mental health because of the, uh, the distortions of the radar reef in Australia or something. So coming to, to work with an idea of, of renewal um, and being lucky enough to have a job that, that works in some kind of practical way, um, it's not there's not a lot of jobs in marine biology and there's not a lot of lucrative jobs either. And uh, having faith that kind of asks me to, to use my skills, my training, and to find ways of, of, of uh, looking for renewal in kind of local local areas. You know, it's, it's a drop in the ocean, but you can actually see, uh, see the trickle-down effect, fishermen change their practices because the market changes, people buy more sustainable fish, they go, okay, well, this is more valuable to us, we're gonna change our ways to, to target different fish or, or change the way that we fish to, to find more sustainable things. So, uh, keeping working in my field where there's some kind of tangible way that you can kind of go, it's small, but there's, we're changing people's uh, market choices and we're changing people's decision-making, people are choosing more sustainable fish. And uh, in a little way, we're, we're doing less damage than, than we have been, and we're, we're seeing renewal. And, and the cool thing about uh, fisheries is you can see stocks that have been diminished usually are, are starting to recover, and as we learn more, we're, we're finding ways to preserve them. And so, uh, my faith probably keeps me in this job more than, uh, than some other ways, but um, yeah, it, it really, I feel really blessed to, to have a job that, that connects so strongly with to steward the earth and, and find that renewal. Yeah. That's amazing. And so as an individual, how do we get involved or, you know, because I eat a lot of seafood. So is there a, like labeling or what, what, is that, what does that look like? Yeah, the simplest way is just uh, if you're in a supermarket, most of the supermarkets in, uh, in Vancouver are partners with us and, and there's a lot of restaurants. If you see the OceanWise symbol, which is a, a little fish, kind of jumping, um, <laughs> Choose those over, over something else. I think we're also really privileged to live in a city that has so much access to um, to the ocean. And if we have the time, like educate yourselves a little bit, you know, see what fish are local, because there's a lot of sustainable fisheries around here. Local doesn't necessarily mean sustainable, but uh, it's a good start. And uh, educate a bit on what makes something sustainable or not. Ask me questions, but uh, at least choose choose a sustainable option over the, the unsustainable one. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Alistair's going to be actually at Table 3 here um, at the end of the service if you want to find out more about what he is working on. Excellent. Great, thanks again. So, Joel, do you want to, it seems like everyone's coming up to the front, but you could bring your phenomenal mustache with you. Is that a Movember special? Just as like a freebie you toss off in a week. I was actually trimming my beard and I messed up. I cut my beard in like six years and I Well, so Joel works for Hope International Development Agency um, full-time, actually, but I think what would be interesting to talk about is like how you got involved in international development, and I know it's a story, but tell us like how God kind of continued to guide you towards what you're doing now, which is like basically dedicating most of your time and life to it. Um, yeah, that's a story. Thanks. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah, I, I actually... Um, didn't graduate high school, uh, worked construction at a very young age, and fell into, this was probably around 2007, I fell into a pretty dark place in my life. 
didn't really have many options. And I had an opportunity um, through my family, my wonderful family, that, that gave me an opportunity to work in, in West Africa and volunteer in, in Western Liberia. It was supposed to be for three months, ended up being for a year, um, and my life just um, radically got flipped upside down. I had an encounter with God, I encountered a God that deeply cared for the poor. Um, and I also met families, I met these wonderful people that um, were struggling, that, that had next to nothing. Um, myself, I, I got typhoid when I was there three months in, I lost uh, 30 pounds in a week. Yeah, in, in that moment of recovery, following that week, um, I just felt overwhelmed that I, I, I'm so blessed to have the resources and the finances to be cared for in a moment like that. And then coming back from that year, I, I just felt um, inspired and thrilled um, to do whatever I can to help people in need. And uh, um, got educated, um, got excited, got involved with um, Hope, volunteering in Calgary, I was studying in school, and I got involved with their events that they had there. What is it about um, Hope and the way that you guys go about um, international development that's um, compelling to you, that it's something that you want to be a part of, um, and uh, what do you do with them? Um, yeah, I think the thing that uh, really drew me to Hope is it's um, a pretty humble organization. The work is it's simply not about us as an organization. It's about amazing people here throughout Canada and Vancouver that support our work, helping Christ, and it's also in a way that it's um, it's sustainable, it's holistic. Um, we partner with local organizations. It's not about us. We don't extend expats to to work in areas. And I think that's and we kind of have this this God complex when it comes to helping people for some reason. And I've um, been humbled through this experience of working with them and going through that experience that it's it's really um, not about us. Um, and we need to come alongside and listen and learn and walk with people that are struggling to to identify ways that we can help them in a sustainable way. Just maybe I've got one more question. I know you've got a couple of events coming up. Um, I'm sure that there's many ways that we can support you personally um, and hope, but uh, maybe you can just tell a little bit about that that's coming up in the next couple weeks. Yeah, we have um, two Christmas concerts coming up. Um, one on December 12th in Langley um, at Bez Arts Hub, and then December 13th, 13th at Reality Church in East Vancouver. And we're partnering with Pacific Theatre. They've done a show to raise money for the theatre. Um, I don't remember how many years. You probably know how many years? Long time. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful night with music, interspersed with um, hilarious stories, um, Christmas stories. Um, and we'll show a short film about our work and hope to, to raise money um, to bring clean water to families in Ethiopia. Um, we actually, if, I know there's musicians that have played at Christmas presents before. We're looking for a couple more musicians. If anyone wants to join us, We'd love to have you, and if you want to come, tickets are free for the one in Vancouver, the one in Langley. If you guys want to venture all the way out there, if you're from there, um, they're 15 bucks, so we'd love to have you. So, and you get to play with your dad, Michael. Uh, Michael. No, but your dad, Michael Hart, right on. Classic. All right, thanks a lot. Um, all right, so now for something entirely different, but uh, like kind of like the Ellen DeGeneres uh, sort of couch portion um, of the <laughs> program. We're going to now watch Ray and Peter bring out a couch and boom, where's Boo now? So Boo's going to help you to panel um, and over to you, man. Thank you very much, Matthew. I don't really think I have any resemblance to Ellen DeGeneres, but 
Thank you. Um, yeah, so I don't know why I got asked to do this part, but I'm really excited. Um, I'm a mental health worker. I kind of like to think of myself as a glorified janitor, but I do know why now. I have a genuine interest in the people I'm interviewing, so can I get Carrie, Maria, and David to come up, please? This is my seat. I'm probably not gonna sit in it. Um, so all of us here work or volunteer in some capacity, work in mental health or um, in education, and a little bit of social justice, it seems. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna start with you, Maria. You work for, or you volunteer for, rather, the Allender Center out of Seattle. And this is Dan Allender's project, who's a doctor. Um, some of you might be familiar with his book, The Wounded Heart. And uh, I myself have only heard of it. Can you tell us a little bit more about his work and some of the numerous applications of it? Um, well, the way I'll start here, because it just seems a little bit easier, is I need to have my experience of harm validated. And I had done research and read books and so on. And this is the most provocative. And so he validated my experience. Um, of harm in my thought. I'm being cognizant of the children in the room is why I'm not. <laughs> and I think that's smart. Um, so, um, yeah, his book, The Wounded Heart, is very challenging for a victim. Um, a victim puts up a lot of defensive strategies, and that's fine in the short term. You need to survive somehow, and I, I think based on what I understand about how your brain functions, uh, that's absolutely God-given. But there comes a time when, you know, those strategies aren't working anymore and your life falls apart. And I was going crazy. <laughs> I couldn't uh, interact with people or function in, in my job, in my life, with my family. So um, I picked up his book again because it's hard to read. Uh, and I, I went to the website that they were at and found a story workshop and I actually, I blasted through <laughs> getting my experience out to them. I don't recommend that method. Um, this was pretty desperate. Um, so I got down to Seattle and I started joining them in helping me bring my stuff to God uh, before I fell apart any further than I already was. Uh, if I remember correctly, Dan Allender's philosophy is he, he takes a pretty a pretty unique approach to traumas, to abuse, to sexual traumas, to um, a lot of, a lot that doesn't get named, say on on a, uh, a regular basis, and speaks in it, to it in both a, um, uh, a more clinical perspective, but also um, through a more uh, faith based perspective. Um, how do you feel that these two merge? within his practice, and how, how has it helped you uniquely? Uh, well, I'll start with how it helped me uniquely because I was so angry at God. I couldn't, I couldn't categorize what had happened to me and how God could allow this to happen to me. And I grew up in a Mennonite-based <laughs> uh, background, so I, it, was, it was too much to figure out. Um, so 
he's able to take the faith aspect and he takes up sort of what we know. And I think what I was reading and hearing from the Bible and saying, look, evil um, will use abuse as one of the most efficient ways to take someone out. And um, uh, because it's not creative, evil's not creative, okay? It's flat, it's boring, it's dull. <laughs> doesn't want you in the picture, especially if you have any tendency towards pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I think once I heard that, and then once I heard him, how he dealt with the aspect of shame, because this guy is up here somewhere in terms of understanding shame, guilt, and the dynamics that are playing out with you and your family. So, uh, because you hate yourself, you can't cope with the scene, and you're, you're also destroying yourself. Um, so what he also told me was, you know, personally, personally, at, at some of his um, seminars and, and workshops. Your recovery week for the women, which is, you know, you're in this stunning atmosphere, and yet you're dealing with the depths of evil that, you know, it was the, the best experience of my life, and it was the hardest experience of my life. And I've even tried to prepare for the LSAT, so if that helps you understand that. <laughs> um, but what was I going to say? He was saying, you know, if you're going to leave, you know, this poor girl out here suffering with this story and not be kind to her and continue to hate her, um, you know, what are you going to do with that? I mean, I was ready to jump out of a window somewhere because I couldn't. I didn't feel like I had a place to take my story. It, um. and, and that's a big part of the, the workshops and the discussion that they curate, is that you share your story in order to empower others. And so do you feel that um, you've made some friends and some, some allies in that sense, that now that you've shared your story, you've empowered others? Yeah, and I would say that's like a total understatement. Um, because, you know, it's not just my story. My story seems quite small compared to some of the stuff I've heard. And I know that now they're said he was involved with the trafficking issue and, and all of that. But I'm uh, fully connected with them. They've developed an online little course. And we've connected with people sort of through technology. And, and we're all continuing to support each other. So it's, it's like you're not even just staying in touch. You're engaging with each other, especially at points where you, you're not going to tell this stuff to anybody out there. It, it's a bad idea. You have to be a little bit discerning about that. Um, I mean, I don't know how to, I can't leave the Allender Center, right? That's, that feels like that's where I, I started reconnecting with God. These people, the, the team there is fully committed to you to you healing and pursuing your relationship um, with Jesus Christ. And they do want to encourage me to continue on that track. And however I do that, they train pastors, they train counselors, they, they have a late counseling certificate program, which I'm interested, I'm continuing to pray about that. And um, the thought that there's more in my life than what's happened is, it still brings me to tears. Um, and, um, you know, sort of what do you do with that? Um, 
Thanks for allowing to invite me to join into something that dignity is. Um. Very courageous, obviously. And you're here sharing it with us, you know. And I think that uh, that speaks volume of what the Islander Center is, from from my understanding. I'm really I'm really thankful that you're here. I had so much fun talking to you before beforehand. I think it's it's something that needs to be talked about on on a more regular basis. And uh, I'm glad that you decided to share it with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Um David.
aha moments. I think I hear the aha moments through what people say and to be able to, in a way, counsel them and encourage them to see life from a different perspective and for them to be able to say, oh, I've never thought about it that way. And they receive an aha moment. Um, or they'll, they'll come into the room and they'll say, oh, there's something about, um, something about what you've told me sometimes I'll share my own story with them, um, which has had lots of time in hospitals and, and things like that. So maybe my experiences in it um, and, uh, and what, what God has done in my life. And there are times when I get to, they open up and I get to, to share a little bit about that, about my own personal story. And it encourages them. And they, they receive this moment of just like, oh, I've never heard about it that way before. And uh, it's uh, what a joy that is to be able to, to see that, to see that in them. Um, so, yeah. And you also uh, mentioned when we were talking beforehand that uh, you also pray for people, and, and this might be something that's challenging for you, but you pray for them um, in a multi-theistic way, based on their understanding of God. Uh, can you touch on that a little bit for us? That is certainly a, an aspect of, of, this, of this job that I'm working on. It's difficult to be able to, when you, when you meet someone who doesn't have faith, or has, um, who has maybe a faith that's completely different than mine. Um, and it, it might not be a monotheistic faith. It might be about, it might be many different gods. It might be in, well, you can fill in the blank. And it's very, it, it's, it's interesting to be able to say, okay, how can you find strength in that? Um, but my, my job is to try and figure out how, how to pursue in that. Um, and often, often if I just don't know what to do, I'll just say, okay, how, how do you pray? How do you find? I mean, I, I'll turn it around. If I'm supposed to be the person who doesn't have all the answers, I'll say, okay, well, I'll turn it around and I'll just say, well, okay, I'll be open with you. I've never prayed in, from your perspective before. What is, how do you pray? And, uh, and it really is, it's often quite an amazing experience and to be able to find be able to create the space um, for for people to experience um, to experience um, time really with, with the God that they worship, um, and uh, it, it's important that that's that, that's available um, and to be able to it's really it creates quite a holy moment. Awesome, thank you so much, David. Now we're talking to Carrie, so I'm going to move over here real quick. So Carrie, you work with. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministry, and uh, you're on the board of directors, and essentially uh, my understanding of it is that the company, actually the organization works to inform uh, faithful communities about mental health and to, um, to bring it into some more of a practical way of engaging it. Can you explain a little bit more about the application of that? Yeah, sure thing. I think um, many of us will have had different experiences of wrestling with mental health within faith communities, and sometimes that can be on one pole of a spectrum where it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, just need to cast out a demon, through to, you know, we as a faith community have very little say on this, just kind of go and find a doctor, get some medication, have the conversations you need to have. 
and that can be like very much divorcing the kind of question of faith versus the mental health. And I think uh, what we're trying to do in Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries is bring those two together and say, how do we think well as a faith community at this intersection of faith and mental health? And then very specifically, how do we equip churches with the tools that they need to create communities of support um, within, within contexts like this? You know, I think it's something like the downtown east side, there's a lot of really visible need, but it can be much more challenging in this kind of community to actually start having conversations about our young people who are wrestling with anxiety or eating disorders or self-harming or our, our young moms who uh, wrestle with postpartum depression or our business people who may be super high functioning but wrestling with depression and these kinds of things. So yeah, really just wanting to equip people um, within churches to, to be the kinds of communities of support that, that we need to be to help people recover and heal the journeys that they're on. You and I made the, the distinguishment that um, between my work and possibly uh, those in, in that organization, I see mental health in a very acute fashion daily exercised, um, you know, sometimes violently. And uh, for me, it's quite easy to hold people accountable to that because they may be followed by a mental health team or otherwise, but it's a lot harder when these, um, these diagnoses, they go unchecked and when people around them uh, cannot facilitate that kind of care. Um, where do you see Jesus um, in allowing us to be compassionate to compassionate to these people um, and finding blessing in their illness. Yeah, what an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think, and perhaps I can maybe speak to how I first got involved in, in these conversations, which might give some way to speaking to that. But I was walked with some very close friends of mine through uh, long, long periods of very challenging mental health um, difficulties, and I found myself just asking, like, I didn't know where God was in it. I didn't know how to think. Christian about what they were walking through and the things that I was seeing. I didn't know how to be a good support to them at the same time as taking care of like, my own needs, their own needs that kind of hold together. And I also noticed um, a, a kind of a, a privacy in a, in, a, in a good way that kind of lent into actually a stigma that was attached and almost an unwillingness to speak more publicly and more openly within the community. And um, I think that's where we have some opportunities in this conversation to even speak about not those people, but actually all of us are kind of on a spectrum of mental wellness, and that's one of the frameworks that we uh, that we use and that we that we speak to to kind of say we're, we're all on this journey, and, and how do we support one another in that? But also create places and, and opportunities of learning. I think uh, I imagine if you're wrestling with these kind of mental health challenges, I think you can maybe feel like, what do I have to give? And it's one of those curious things where I think sometimes it, the, the veils between heaven and earth can be quite thin for people who maybe are having quite significant challenges. And, and also we can, we can discount that and say, well, this is your illness. But actually what if it's not? What if the veil is thin? And there's, there's something that, we, that they have to speak to us, to, to teach us, and that we can learn from their experience and, and that, that thin place between heaven and earth. Beautiful answer. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, I'm not sure if anybody really realized that, but over the course of this interview, telling, listening, and then advocating. And I think that's so, you know, telltale of mental health and all these things that go on. Um, we went over time. We could talk about this all day. Thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate you coming here today.